to a horrible time with Anth. That's me and Pebble Dash. That's me. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good, thank you. What are we doing this episode? This episode, we interview the amazing Paul Alexander. <gasps> oh, that's exciting. So exciting. This was such a good interview. He spoke about so many cool different things. Yeah. Hi, Gorge. Hello. Hi, <laughs> how are you? I'm very good, um, pretty good. I've just gone very good to pretty good to, I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm alive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of all we can ask for just now, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it's, that's been the most optimistic someone can who's living a queer experience, I think. <laughs> yeah, nothing to do with the pandemic, just being queer. Just being queer, yeah. That's enough, yeah. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Paul. Um, I, I am Paul Alexander. I am, I guess, primarily a, a drag artist, but drag is sort of my vessel for doing all sorts of bits and pieces, performing, um, organising events, um, like drag ones, theatre drag ones or murder mysteries. Um, I sort of like doing crafting. Um, I make little creepy creatures, life modelling, um, mm-hmm. all sorts of little things, scare acting as well, which I adore doing. Um, but yeah, I'm a drag artist that likes a little bit of the macabre, a bit of um, gothic vibes mixed with a bit of glitter and um, all sorts of oddities things that basically if it makes if it if i enjoy it if it makes me laugh um and is a bit weird then i'm happy yeah i think that's the perfect way to be really isn't it definitely i kind of so we obviously have had a scroll through the instagram and the tiktoks and such and i think one of the things that stands out to me the most is the glitter yeah where did your love of glitter come from there's a lot of glitter (laughs) <laughs> there is a lot of glitter and I you know what I don't even know I love it um, <laughs> I'm just I'm not sure if it's it's just a sort of self-imposed punishment for something I, I can't remember doing um <laughs> I think I mean perhaps it's from that phrase you, you you can't polish a turd but you can put glitter on it and putting glitter just covers up all sorts of problems um but I think <laughs> I, I, I think it started having a beard not wanting to shave a beard off because I hate shaving daily. I've got darker skin. It's thicker. I've got darker hair. The hair grows through quick. I don't like shaving. Mm-hmm. So putting glitter on it just seemed an answer. And then that just sort of grew from there. Um, and that means it's probably filling my lungs along with all the talc. And I'll probably <laughs> deal with that later in life. <laughs> I mean, clown, clown lung. yeah, glitter <laughs> lung and clown lung is coming to us all. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not worried about that. You know what? We've been through worse. <laughs> oh God, haven't we? Just. Um, yeah. I think one of the things for me, I don't know about for you, Anne. Um, one of the things for me that I love about the glitter, and as as you said, you kind of go lean towards the macabre and things mm. like that. But I think the glitter. Glitter's universal. Everybody loves a bit of glitter. When they see glitter, when we see shiny. So it almost gives you permission to go really west with the kind of darkness because it's got some glitter on it. Yeah, I I think that's um, that's so important as well. You know, it's, it's, it's not deliberately set out like that, but it's something I've definitely become aware of. It makes... um, my drag, which is a little more gender fucky than straight queen or king, mm-hmm. quite accessible, relatable. Because if I'm in a smoking area, people can say, oh, my God, I love your beard. Mm-hmm. And the rest of me could be quite odd or slightly different to the norm. Um, even if it's something as subtle as you know, chest hair showing, which you know some people still find odd in drag. Or if it's just it's an entirely gothic macabre look. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it draws people in. And then once you've drawn someone in, you can then present to them or offer them something a bit weirder and they're more likely to accept it. Um, but I also, I really do like sparkly things and I, I like mixing up the glitters and getting the right tone and shades and whatnot. And then, you know, really thinking how I'll use it. I find that fun. I like having, I like the texture it can have. Thicker bits <laughs> yeah. and chunkier bits. And, and you know what? There's nothing more beautiful than standing in a boiling hot shower 
gently washing it away. That's just just feeling it disappear. That's just it's a beautiful <laughs> moment, isn't it? That de dragging. Uh, I mean, for me, for me, um, I love wiping off my makeup, but my favorite part is scrubbing the life out of my eyebrows with alcohol to get the glue out. Nothing's more satisfying than freeing my eyebrows when I'm done. Oh, bless you. You know what? I, early lockdown, I shaved mine off. I thought, I'll give it a go. I see what it's like. I can't go back. It's just so easy to put eye makeup on. Like, it's just a smooth palette there. Yeah. It's, oh, God. I grew my eyebrows back during the first lockdown because I was just sick of looking like an egg. Because <laughs> <laughs> I shaved saying? my head. Well, I'd shaved my head. I had no beard because, obviously, I do shave my face for drag. And I did look like a, like a hard-boiled egg with eyes. So I grew my <laughs> eyebrows back. And I'm so glad I did. I look, I look slightly more human. Not, not much, but slightly more human. Yeah, it's the little things. It's, um, I, I, you know what? It's one of the first times I, um, I recognise the power of a face with no eyebrows. It was in, um, you know, those those that little known film, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's, um, what's, um, oh god, the King of Rohan, um, and uh, the. Bearden. Yeah. And he, you know his little weird assistant, was it Grima? Oh, uh, Grima Wormtongue. Yeah. He, one of the things they did to give him that sort of uncanny valley was to ha- give him no eyebrows. Yeah. Um, and it was, that was the first time I sort of was, when I saw him, was when I was, you know, when it came out, I was like, what's, why does he look so odd apart from, you know, the greasy hair and the makeup and the general hideous demeanor of um, being a bit mean and whatever. But it was like, <laughs> it was just little things like that. And I thought, oh, I really, I really like that subtlety. And I think, but also, I'm also recognised. I think that's why some people can see faces without eyebrows and stuff, and just be a bit, oh, yeah. It, it does suit some people, but I've, I don't know if it does suit me. I've got in drag, I don't mind, obviously, but out of drag, I'm like, I'm not sure. My hair's quite dark and visible, so without them, there's a bit of an order, like a, a bit of a, a visual obvious gap in my face. <laughs> <laughs> Very large question. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, horror spans so many different kinds of media, but what would you say was your favourite kind of horror? Um, it could be books, movies, whatever, and why? So I definitely, um, I do love a lot of video games. Video games is, is my longest standing love, um, but there's so many video games, books and films. Um when I think of the question, I immediately think of um, films more than anything. I yeah. think I love space ones, like, but there's not that many of them. So like Alien, Event Horizon, I love them because I love space and I love those kind of weird horrors. I also, there's two two of my favourites. I've got two. I mean, why be orthodox and have one? Um, one is Candyman. Oh. Um, <sighs> I love that. I love the music. I think it's um, the theme tune. The theme, the theme tune. The um, I think it's uh, <laughs> Philip Glass. It might have composed it. I love that. I, I love so. the story of it. The lore. I like the setting because it's actually it's kind of set based on some elements of true stories. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The Chicago projects it's set in and the lore around them and stuff. I really like it and I find it. I've always when I saw it when I was very young. Uh, probably when you're not meant to see such things. <laughs> I just felt so sorry for um, Candyman himself. Um, Who's it? Tony Todd who plays it. Because the icon he, Tony Todd. Yeah. <laughs> he like, he gets, he's he's kind of not just a villain. He's a villain that's been done wrong so badly. Yeah. <laughs> His backstory, no spoilers, you know, where, the way he was killed and, you know, the racism of it. And I was always drawn to that. I always felt so sad and sorry for him. And I thought all the characters in the world it's set in is pretty bleak and sad. Um, yeah. And maybe that started my uh, my sort of love, my affinity for um, the villains, the <laughs> bad guys, which I do like. Um, I think The Shining is the other one that, again, I saw when I was young and I just loved how mad um, Jack Nicholson played him and the hotel and all the weird elements and the music again i love music and sound design and the music was just so weird and alien and i'm saying um but yeah i I think they're some of my favorites like i guess i like quite a lot of classic ones a bit more than newer ones but i still love so many new things um 
I've got all yeah. the time in the world to sit down and binge like this or um, how many ever yes. ones there are. I just, I, I love Jigsaw <laughs> as well. I think Jigsaw, I was kind of saying to my flatmate ages, I was like, I, I, I can see Jigsaw's point. I get what he's yes. trying to do. <laughs> oh, Jigsaw, <laughs> or to me, genuinely, Jigsaw was like the original Dexter and everybody loves Dexter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. And, so. I mean, Dexter was going <laughs> killing people who had done wrong, and fair enough, Jigsaw was more moralistic and morals kind of can be balanced or outbalanced. But no, I got his point. I love the Saw movies. I don't think they're the best made movies. I don't think they're the best act- acted movies. Yeah. But the story <laughs> and the concept and the incessant kills in different ways. They've got so many movies, there's like seven of them, and people are killed in different ways in every movie, which yeah. I find entertaining. It's, it is, it is. Yeah, they just, um, and you know, the way the story just somehow grows and grows, and you think, oh, okay, well, I'll just buy into that, I'll just accept that. Um, <laughs> I liked, I did hear a, a sort of sigh of resignation, like, oh my God. Here they go, bang on about Saw again. <laughs> oh, that was me. Um, I'm, yeah. not a, I'm not a big fan of Saw. Like, I don't mind the first two. The rest after are just like, hmm, I don't know. It's just, it's not horror to me. It doesn't strike me as like horrific. Well, it is horrific, but it doesn't strike me as like a horror film. It's more like the the torture porn thing. Yeah, I mean, I get that entirely because it's a, uh... But uh, I get that. Yeah, I get that entirely. But I think you'll find you're wrong. Um, <laughs> um, get them. Um, it's they, they can't. That's the thing. They can't really be defended, can they? No, <laughs> because they are what they are. Um, yeah. There's lots of films I just love, um, but video games as well. You know what? It's weird. I actually, I can watch whatever film, and I rarely sort of get scared or spooked out. Um, I can read whatever books, but yeah. video game horror things i don't like playing because i think like well you want me to press forward on a controller knowing that there's something up there why should i <laughs> and so i love just watching playthroughs of them i well, love watching yeah it's playthroughs. more immersive isn't it it's like yeah you're right there you're like you're deciding what's going to happen yeah. whereas I- with like watching horrors and stuff like we were speaking about this last night mm-hmm. like we're not scared of horrors now it's like rare when you get scared of a horror film. Unless our cat Argento jumps at you when there's something <laughs> scary about to happen, which is exactly what happened last night. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> He's terrible. But yeah, absolutely, when you're in charge of the game, you're in control, and it's that control thing, but when you're watching the films, mm. the control is completely removed. You're watching yeah. someone else's idea. And even though yeah. a game is the same, you're still watching someone else's idea and concept because you have to make that move. I think it's more intense. Yeah. And there, there might be, you know, you might be sitting at the start of a 15 hour journey of mm. that sort of endless horror. Um, and, you know, it's kind of in a way, I really like watching playthroughs you know whether it's old games like amnesia or uh, more recent Resident evil mm. um because they're like it's like this they could be like watching if you've got a good player they could be watching sort of cinema a 10-hour film um mm-hmm. i find that re- i find it really enjoyable uh really fun do you yeah. have any uh favorite horror games um <laughs> I I actually really liked the Resident Evil 2 remake. Oh, I thought fantastic. that was because I remember. So I had, um, I used to have, when I had my original PlayStation, I had a demo disc from the official PlayStation magazine that had <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil 2. Your age <laughs> is showing. <laughs> it was, I, I bought it uh, only a couple of years ago. So. Um, it was um and it had the demo of resident evil 2 i remember playing that and i just the fucking tank controls um which add to the horror of it but i don't you know and it's just like well that's one way to get around it um and remember that and then watching remake i was just like they've done a good job of that like they've they've kept the spirit of it but they've kind of i think kept quite a lot of the um the 
I guess the the world of Raccoon City and all of their lives. So I really like that. But there's some classics like Amnesia and stuff that I really I just love, and they're they're, they're sort of comfort views now. If I go back and watch them, <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's just go watch this in the darkness. It's a nostalgia thing as well, though, isn't it? When you yeah. watch those old games, even if it is horror, like we've obviously we've just recently done a deep dive into the original Halloween movie. Yes, um, yeah, and that for me that's like nostalgia for me. Like if I'm thinking about childhood or like missing my folks or whatever, because obviously they're in Scotland, like I'll watch Halloween. <laughs> and weird, like, <laughs> I know, I know. I like, I was miss, uh, yeah. You know what, I was, I, was, I was missing sort of just living in Scotland and I thought I'd think of sort of mad maniac sort of going around slashing people, cutting people for no reason and creating a general sense of dread in the world. And I felt at home again. Um. Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, that is Pebble. That is me. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. You, you said such a good thing about Halloween, though, when you said um, it's... Um, this is showing that I've listened to it. Um, but <laughs> when you said that it's timeless, and I never thought about that before, like, it doesn't show its age by the setting as much. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was... that When I heard that, I just thought, fuck, how could I... How, fuck's sake how could I have missed that it's so like it makes so much sense as to why it sort of stands up it's a self-contained thing that works in whatever time and environment yeah because there's certain movies isn't there there's movies like um what's what's the one about the cell phones and there's a movie it might be called Pulse Uh, where it takes over the cell phones and stuff and because it's so focused on technology of that time it's yeah. unrelatable if you watch even watching it now because it's all like flip phones yeah, and stuff yeah. from when we were younger. It, it's kind of like, oh, well, this, that wouldn't happen now. Like, this is odd. Whereas Halloween, yeah, yeah, the clothes, obviously, the clothing throughout is dated, but clothing comes back around continuously. Just now, how old are you, Paul, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I am, um, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm 35. And Anne's 33. Yes. Yeah. So we kind of have noticed just now the 90s is like a big thing. Mm-hmm. And all these little like e-boys and twinks yeah. and e-girls are like, oh, I'm so like 90s. And it's weird because I look at it and I think we didn't look like that in the 90s. <laughs> no. Do you know what I mean? But we done yeah. it with the 80s. I was fascinated with the 80s and like my teens and early 20s. Yeah. And it's weird seeing all those kind of 90s kids. And, like, I was in a conversation yesterday with one of my friends, Tesco, um, drag queen for the Northeast, And she was asking about B-movies and then sent a list of movies that were made in, like, 2013. <gasps> and I was like, these aren't B-movies. Like, B-movies, the whole point of a B-movie was it was a double feature and it was the B-side, like, like with cassette tapes back in the day. It was the B-side to the main movie. And it just shook me that I'm like, God, you think that's old, like old, and you think that's proper B movies? It's just bizarre. Yeah, because yeah, B movies, I think, oh, fifties, you sixties, know, seventies, maybe yeah. Rocky Horror taking the piss out of that kind of yeah. vibe at its peak. Oof, gosh, yeah, well, I'm glad I'm in my early twenties. Um, <laughs> yeah, nineties. That's it. The thing is, when you think of the 80s, there is something deliberately, there is like a massive change to something very garish in fashions and vibes mm-hmm. and music and stuff. And the 90s, it's really yeah, it's hard to pin that one down. I kind of think of Friends and Spice yeah, Girls. Beige. Like, yeah. I think beige. Like, everybody wore knit cardigans and, like, baggy jeans. Because really, in the UK, it was Britpop and yeah. Sugar Pop. That was like the two kind of most opposing fields. And it was obviously led by music as the UK so often is. Yeah. And it was literally like bubblegum pop. And they're not, yeah, they're not very out there, really. Yeah. It's so weird. So when I see all these kids now, like with flames on their jeans, like, I'm so (laughs) 90s. And I'm like, no one in the 90s wore those, unless they were famous. Get them off. You've just become old man shouting at the sky. <laughs> I absolutely have. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely have. And usually it's when I'm working at the bar and I'm stood at the door and some twink comes up and like, oh my God, do you remember these for when you were young? And then I set them on fire. Oh, oh that's nice. That's cute. <laughs> Serves them, right? Yeah, yeah. So would you say that horrors influenced your creativity? 
Yeah, a hell of a lot. I think it's influenced my mindset. And I don't, in a completely non-conscious way, I just think whether it's like the motifs or whether it's in the visuals or just the, I don't know, just exposing the weird side of things. I just find that really enjoyable. I'm drawn to it. I'm just so intrinsically drawn to things that are a bit off, a bit uncanny valley, a bit creepy. Um, and I that just channels in my humour, in my approach, perhaps because I'm comfortable with it. I'm very comfortable with those things and I'm not sort of scared or alienated or worried by them. And so I just find great comfort in them. Um, and maybe it's, it's I've, I've just, I, I like, to, I can see behind the horror, if that makes sense. Yeah. I can see what makes it tick and what makes people tick and how it makes people feel unsettled or whatever they makes them feel. Um, and I think that's come out in how I perform, not all the time, not all the time, but maybe in what I do, how I perform. Like you said, I like maybe glitter along with something darker. It's like when I craft my weird teddies, I like them. Be, I think they're cute, but other people say they're a bit weird. And I'm just like, oh, well, you know, each to their own. Um, I enjoyed your cute. Hello Spider. That was cute. Yeah, it's, got, it's <laughs> so cute. It was little legs and it's cute little Definitely. human teeth and things. Um, <laughs> just imagine it like you're asleep and it's scuttling about on the floor Aww. and you, you just know it's like gathering mites to eat or something and it's just happy. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's not really how I would sell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've literally just sat and thought, oh... Oh, yeah, I think not having one of those in my room. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's that you know you don't you can't you, you've never seen it move or heard it move, but you do it. You know, at night it does. You know, at night you sometimes you hear a shuffling and you think, oh, it's just making a nest in a corner. Um, <laughs> I find that really sweet and endearing and just kind of fun. Um, and that's why you know, like I like horror. I like scare acting. I find it so fun. It's so enjoyable. And maybe that ties into it that because I I enjoy. I'm okay at the behind the scenes of horror that I mm -hmm. perhaps then am drawn to it more and more as to perpetrate, inflicting it upon others. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about the horn acting? Um, it's, yeah. So like in case anyone does or doesn't know, scare acting is just kind of, you know, working at scare mazes, attractions, um, where you just characterizing or dressing up in whatever way and creeping people out. Um, it could be. I, I like to. I like it to be quite nuanced and clever and switched on. And the one of the greatest people who I've worked for and with is uh, the drag artist in Birmingham called Gaviner. They're mm -hmm. so clever and switched on, and they're incredibly good at scare acting and horror. They make their own scare mazes. Um, but one of the things they had was no boos, rahs, or ahs. You know, no jump scares. It's it's way beyond that. We can yeah. make people scared by just the subtleties, the presence, the noises you make, the unearthly noises, the look you have, the things you can say characterising it. Um, and I really love that. So whether that's been a mad hillbilly or a Jack the Ripper or just a zombie type thing or whatever it is, um, I really enjoy it because people buy into it and you, you feed off the reaction and you adapt your reaction to them. You can pick out the person, if there's a group of them going through a maze, you can pick out the person immediately who is going to be the most scared because maybe they're cowering a bit. Yeah. You on, you're immediately drawn, I'm going to get you. You're in control of the whole situation <laughs> because you know what is where. They're walking to the unknown. They, don't they can't necessarily see things. Um, and people buy into it. And I love that. Um, I love that people buy into, you know, it's a bit one of the things like when you watch any horror film, you know it's not real or you know that's makeup or whatever. Mm -hmm. but people accept a degree of that is the new reality that they're going to face. Um, and I like that. I find it really enjoyable and it's a good challenge. And, you know, you get people who don't want to enjoy it, who maybe you've got the stereotypical tough lad. Um, <laughs> but what I love about them is that I, I won't give an inch. Um, um, I won't sort of break out with them. I won't give them that they won't get much, as much out of it, but I won't sort of be deterred. Mm -hmm, yeah, on a level they don't like which may be almost sometimes it could be casual flirtation whatever makes them uncomfortable mm -hmm. I, I will do whatever it takes <laughs> but it's a good it's a very fun thing it's really fun and um, the great thing I had during lockdown is uh, I did bits and pieces with a company called Area 51 they had a sort of drive through outdoors terror 
maze out in the woods and fields. Ooh. And it was incredibly good. Cars would drive around. It would take about 20 minutes and there were just stations along the way, some in the woods, some by the lake, of just different things that would happen. One this of, is know, amazing. The, yeah. It was, it was so good. Like It was so well done. And it was a great challenge because you're outdoors the whole time in the dark. And you've got basically between you and the people, you've got a fucking car, <laughs> you've got windows yeah. and whatnot. So it could, it was interesting to see how you can make a totally different kind of scare. Um, but I really, I liked it. It was really good fun. You know, some bits, you know, there's one bit in the middle of the woods where they're stopped, but there's just a gate where they stopped. And then mad hillbillies come out and they're on quad bikes with fake chainsaws, you know, proper chainsaws with the chain taken off. So they still yeah. make the noise and smoke. And they're on quad bikes with fake flame, well, real flamethrowers and stuff. And the car gets doused in water, but it looks like it's petrol coming out of sort of jerry can. And it's just, it's just such a, it was so fun. And it was a great, it was a great thing to do in the pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really rationalised the human experience. Um, yeah, so it, I, I enjoy it. It's, it. It could be good seasonal fun work. Yeah, it definitely sounds amazing. It it's really a shame does, yeah. because. I love watching videos of people in haunts. Nothing makes me happier than watching people get scared. Scared and uncomfortable are two of my favourite, like, emotional reactions in the world. (laughs) But where where are the haunts that you work in mostly based? Because I've never really, other than, like, Annette Castle up here, I've never really seen many haunts in the UK that that I've heard of myself. So the ones I've done are mostly around the Midlands, around here. Um, there seems to be a whole other, a whole world of them. I, I kind of feel they're like an unsung hero of the horror industry because there's actually, there's quite a few of them. I'm, I'm sure in some places they sort of dwindle out and there's hardly any, but, and there's some ones that are a bit more known, sort of like at the large theme parks. Mm. Um, but they just, a lot of them are independent. They pop up and there's some well-known, you know, <clears throat> so my voice is going there. That's just the parasite um, coming up for air. Um, there's some <laughs> well-known, there's ones like Charlie's and stuff that are more known, but um, mm-hmm. you may have to travel for them um, and they can often pop up for the season, the sort of Halloween season for a couple yeah. of weeks or whatever. Um, they're worth travelling to. There are some really good ones and people can pay good money to go see them. But I totally know that there'll be places where they just don't exist um and it's it's weird they can they can pop up in the most odd of places whether it's in a town center somewhere or a disused mansion or out in the woods or fields um, mm. but it could be good money and people can really um spend money making these things quite quite fun what the first one i worked out was twisted attractions and it was at the inner gay village in birmingham it's sort of there's an empty sort of lot where uh, Gaviner and um, their team built this um, sort of scare maze. There was like four kind of huge buildings. One was an asylum inside. It was a co- dark corridors, flashing lights, and it was just an asylum with beds. There was oh, even wow. a padded room where you crawl, crawled on the floor to come into this uncomfortably small padded room. And there was a guy in there called Chunk, and he was a giant baby in there. He was, he was a, he's a <laughs> big guy who was just in a, <clears throat> oh, he's a big bald baby with a nappy on and what looked like shit all over him oh um and then another room was a bit like saw where another place was where it's just going through different saw mazes and another one was victorian london for the smoke and sounds of being victorian london and you go through sort of the street streets and um, sewers and i was sort of jack the ripper at the end um so there's a lot of creativity if you can go to one seek them out but I, I don't know what's what would be up near you um i might have might have a little google uh, <laughs> might have a little bit google or bing it see what happens <laughs> bang god bing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on they need it please <laughs> <laughs> they really do bless yeah. them they're trying i know <laughs> so what what does horror mean to you and that can be literally or figuratively um Oh, I think it can be something that leaves an impression on someone or changes someone in a in a way they're possibly unsettled or uncomfortable with. Um, there's a real art to it. Like it could be so. It, it, I think it's well beyond just being blood and gore. It could be really, really psychological or unsettling or very 
almost whimsical and gentle, but it just holds a mirror to fears or the unknown or exposes things that makes some sort of sense react, whether it's your sort of your visual or auditory ones. Um, so it, I, it's hard to pin down, but I think if it if it just makes people unreact or no react, sorry, not unreact, whatever that <laughs> really, um, to whatever level of un- discomfort um, or sort of being unsettled or you know scared i guess uh mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's a tough one that but i think what it if for me the more it goes into their psyche deeper into the mind of them um in a way that they possibly don't want then it's it's kind of getting more to the core of horror yes, yes. you're kind of really exposing something that um just yeah that, that possibly they don't want to but if they're watching the film or game or scare acting whatever that it's kind of tapping into that and they're kind of consenting to that weird process and some people enjoy that really enjoy being scared um, like that or having that done to them it kind of gives them a, a thrill or just yeah, thrill seeking excites them who knows yeah it's almost the way you're describing it is almost like it's like a primal thing like it's yeah. such an innate part of people that you, especially during the scare act, and you kind of have the luxury of bringing out and releasing that part of someone. Yeah, it's it's it sounds almost. Um, I'm trying to think if it's more psychopathic or sociopathic when you say you like making people scream. <laughs> <laughs> but when you tap into that, like there'll be times where you know after you finish say around a scare, scare act, you'd be like, oh my god, did you hear? See that group? Yeah, they were screaming. Oh, it was so good. You know, it's like. Oh yeah, we need to make them wet themselves. Oh, that one's going to be traumatized. Fantastic! <laughs> um, it's you know, it's we had. Um, you, there were moments that I think really illustrate how powerful it can be. Is say, say in the one I did in the autumn, you, you might have a car approaching. So one of the stations ours at it had a big, it's sort of a one side of the road is just endless churned up fields with scary scarecrows now and again. Then it's a big lake, and there was just a big digger crossing with its arm crossing the road, and there's just a big stop sign. So they're almost approaching in pitch black with just their car lights, and then like one of us would just sort of step out, looking a bit horrific in front of them, and they're not expecting anything. They don't know what to expect. And when you hear slight screams or like, oh, my God, coming from the car straight away, and it's 10 feet away from you, you're like, you've got this one, lads. (laughs) This is going to be fun. and that really taps into what people can do for themselves. Like horror is something where it elicits that reaction from people um, or, or plants the seed. And I don't know. I don't know why people like being scared or like feeling what they do. Maybe it just um, sort of uncovers parts of their mind and experience that need a bit of fuel. Who knows? Who knows? I'm sure there's some fantastically long and uninteresting PhDs on the subject. Oh, God. That, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, the kind of follow-up to that question is why Why do you think we, as people within the queer community, have such an affinity for horror? I think because we're psychologically damaged, we're against God, we're against the nature, <laughs> and we are sinful creatures who need to be scared by hellish images um thank you <laughs> <laughs> welcome to thank you for coming to my ted talk yeah. thank you for coming to my ted talk i will be uh disappearing to twitter to be angry um <laughs> i don't know maybe maybe he almost has a cliche maybe it's where um quite often outsiders are rejected from things we don't quite fit in in very subconscious subliminal ways you know that having an enjoyment or uh, appreciation or at least having one foot in the side of things that are a bit odd makes us more kin to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for many a queer person, you know, they're not going through life with their eyes closed because things we, we have to watch out. Um, mm-hmm. Very subtle things in life aren't set up to um, suit a lot of LGBTQ people. Therefore, we're kind of a bit more aware of things. And we've perhaps then allowed ourselves to tap into areas and subjects that others may not have because they don't have to. Um, and we may have then discovered things like horror and weird things. And 
found a little affinity or enjoyment. Um, it makes us feel something and mm -hmm. feeling things that are positive in the sense that people can enjoy horror or they can enjoy thrill-seeking um, mm. is a nice thing. If you can feel something good, then you sort of pursue it. And if your life's a little bit shite at times, um, it it's kind of draws you to pursue those things a little bit more and you know maybe maybe there's some truth in that i don't know i might just be rambling i've just been uh reading <laughs> no, no, not I, at all i um, just found it i found that on wikipedia um <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what what do you think because i've i've never quite known why people may be drawn to such things well it is the other like i think that's why a lot of queer people are attracted to horror because it's like um, highlighting the marginalised, it's like the mm. other, like we can relate to the protagonist or the antagonist sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So it's very like, it reflects what a lot of queer people go through, I think, anyway. Yeah, I think especially as um, so many sort of icons of queer people are the outsiders or the people defying something and that could actually be the villains, you know, whether, whether it's yeah. sort of the musical divas, you think. Who you know, whether it's like the Shirley Bassey's or Madonna's or the Gargars, who actually by you know just being women um, and a lot of them queer friendly, that makes them immediately an outsider no matter their success. Or when people just love the villains because perhaps we can see the human side to them um, yeah. if if it is there or their story. Um, yeah, yeah, I think queer people. I think growing up queer, we have a completely different view and understanding of humanity. And what it is to be human. Kind of what Anne said, we've been othered. We are the other in kind of modern culture. We were always the other. It was the gays or people who are trans or more, more common now is people not understanding people who are non-binary or don't fall into the sexual binary. Um, it's, it's always other. There has to be a different label for each kind of queer identity. Um, which is why I like to use the term queer because I, I kind of use it as a an all encompassing yes. umbrella for everybody, regardless of sexual or gender identity. Um, but I think with horror specifically, again, kind of echoing what I'm saying, we've said it so many times on the podcast. People are going to be so bored of us now. Read a fucking <laughs> book, though. Um, because we've been othered, we absolutely identify. I think more commonly with the antagonist, if it goes back to Disney movies. We all love Ursula. We all love Cruella yes. de Vil. Yeah. It's Maleficent. <laughs> it was always females who were actually kind of empowered that we had, I feel like because we understood misogyny on a different level for women, obviously, but we still were victims of misogyny as male presenting queer people or identifying as yeah. gay when we were younger there's still a level of misogyny that we receive and absolutely there's still a lot of misogyny within specifically the gay community there's still a lot of misogyny there but I think because it's something that we could relate to it's why we love the Disney villains and I think just as we grew up we were able to identify more and more with antagonists in horror movies or horror tv shows or games Generally, when I was a kid, I know Anne's the same. When we were young, we are both big gamers as well. We will seek out to play as a female character within a game. Definitely. We'll always pick the female because for me, I love to see a female leading and being strong. And because until recently, there's not been a lot of queer characters or queer lead characters that you could play in games. We would go for the women. And it's just that it's looking for some semblance of what, our experiences wherever we can find it. I think it's why a lot of different kind of queer communities across the world just now are pushing so much for black trans lives because we are kind of always the first ones to step up and say, actually, this is important. And then mainstream follows after. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that makes so much sense. Um, it sums up so much, you know, just that connection that queer people like I, I agree with you entirely I'm very much I love queer as a term it's it just feels so right as an umbrella term for gender for sexuality um partly this is a complete tangent because LGBTQ which again 
you know, I don't like it when people go, oh, alphabet soup and stuff. I'm just like, stop trying to be clever. Mm. That's not, you know, <laughs> make it clever. If you're going to be clever, be clever. God damn it. Um, I kind of like, you know, they're very different things, LGBTQ individually, but queer actually is is a uniting term. And I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that I first came across it as queer theory, as an academic subject. That's the first time I heard queer is a positive term. Um, many moons ago, obviously when I was very young, um, um, last year, <laughs> last year, yeah. I, I saw I saw it in a book just earlier. I don't like books, but you know, I saw the word and I thought, I love that. Um, but connection, yeah, I think there's definitely that connection that people can feel and find with characters and their stories and find what's relatable and standing up for the other side. And if you're not, if you don't like, if you don't fit in, even in most subtle ways you're immediately in the in a group of whoever else doesn't fit in yeah. and i think generally people respond to that it's very interesting these days because i think there's enough people in more privileged countries and places where who can to be to be delicate saying this who may be lgbtq can actually end up being misogynist racist and all of those things because they've got levels of comfort and privilege with their existence mm-hmm. you often find it more of maybe the to throw out that phrase which i find is overuse of the the white cis gay male but i think in the past especially before people have been able to just before gay people have had it as they have now which in the west is actually not terrible for quite a few mm-hmm. um in the past i think it was much worse you know if you think back to when you see things like it's a sin um mm. And I think that's when the connections were really there. We've kind of just kept that tradition going um, yeah. for the outsiders and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's why being visibly queer is still so important. And you still mm-hmm. there's still people who are like, well, why do they have to come out? Why do we have to have gay pride? All of these kind of questions. And it's because it's important that we're still visible because we don't ever want to be the other again. We yeah, all we've ever really wanted is to just be seen as everybody else. Yeah, the minute yeah. It, it stops, sadly, is when things can just roll back. It's um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like pushing a boulder up a hill. Um, if you stop, there's that risk. It's just going to start rolling back, and yeah, exactly. It's, it's a yeah, it's quite difficult and unfair um, in that way. Um, yeah. Never mind, eh? <laughs> oh, well. Um, Let's go back to the happy subject of horrors and horror and killing. <laughs> so, have you had any, obviously you've done your haunts and things like that, have you had any kind of supernatural or spooky experiences? Mm, I don't think so. I'm not someone who, like, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite an advocate of... Um, the enlightenment the scientific method and all of that sort of thing because I'm, I'm kind of like that's what delivered us the technology the emancipation from um, slavery serfdoms and you know it allows us to talk it allows me to talk into a weird bit of plastic here and you can hear it hundreds of miles away mm-hmm. um and so i've never I, i'm kind of open-minded with paranormal things but i'm very much like if it's there I want to see the wonderful proof and all of that. So yeah. I've never really had any experiences where I've been convinced of anything. Mm. Um, mentally, I've I've completely like enjoyed the mind games of taking part. You know, like I love the ideas of opening up the Egyptian tombs, um, you know, desecrating them. Um, and, <laughs> you know, oh, I love that, just desecrating 3,000-year-old uh, tombs and uh, a whole culture. Um, but, you know, like the curses and stuff like that, or going, I've, I like urban exploration, so when I've, um, <coughs> legally, of course, um, of course, yeah, of course. snuck into abandoned buildings and found things, I'm like, I would love something weird to happen. Um, but nothing mm-hmm. quite has, I don't think. Um, I think fa- I'm a massive believer in yeah. spirituality. That not necessarily spirituality in the sense of like religion, but mm-hmm. being open, being open to connecting with spirits, uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And I think sometimes when, so like yourself, when you come from maybe a more scientific view, that's kind of that's what is ingrained within yourself. 
it's hard to find the experiences because you look for them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think for yeah. me, so for instance, I've just always been open to it. So I've had few like different experiences, few and far between. But I think, yeah, if you if you go actively looking for it, you won't always necessarily find it. And I think anything can be rationalized. I'm not like a complete idiot. <laughs> I think anything can be <laughs> rationalized and logicalized, but I also think that's just because that's how we've been trained is to rationalize and logicalize things. It falls into mental health, all this kind of stuff as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's it's applying your basic principles of um, what are you trying to convince yourself of something or are you trying mm-hmm. to just explore something and see see where it goes on its own sort of basis and you know what it presents itself as. Um, I mean, I don't know if I I don't know if I seek things out. I just kind of like being in those environments where it feels a bit fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I um yeah, like going to odd places. Um I, I've never been I've never been one that's um I kind of want the real things to happen. I remember when I was young, my gran used to always record, she had loads of um VHS. Um that's video cassettes um, <laughs> for the younger viewers out there. Um <laughs> They were lumps of plastic that had um, thin strips of plastic that apparently worked. And when he didn't People work, will press... literally not know what you're <laughs> yeah, talking no, about. No. It's had to awful. Press... And half the time they didn't work. They were fuzzy, <laughs> known as tongue filter. And you'd have to press a tracking button. Yeah. Um, and at the end, you'd have to press rewind and listen to your uh, VCR player go a bit mental as it rewounded quicker and quicker. Um, but my grand used to have loads of them and she used to record all the... I used to just watch them because there'd be all sorts of these sort of paranormal um, TV shows. I don't know where she found them and whatnot. And I used to lap that stuff up and love it and read all these conspiracy things and stuff. So I'm very much like, as things come about, you know, it's like aliens. I love aliens and things like that. I think, I don't think we've had the, we haven't got, I believe the universe is too big for there not to be stuff out there. And weird stuff out there. And I think physics is showing that things are too weird and odd for us not to just find out so much weird shit in the future. Um, and so, yeah, so maybe perhaps in the absence of having certain experiences, that's why I like giving the scares, giving the spooks mm-hmm. and creating them because um, in a way that makes them a sort of realness for people. Um, but yeah, I'd love to, I mean, there's things I just want to do, like um, the horrors I love the most are psychological things, like being in a yes. asylum. I'm obsessed with asylums. Oh God! I, Have you I, ever seen Room Eight? No. Oh my God! What is it called? Grave Encounters. I Grave Encounters. What's that one about? Tell me. So because... it's a it's a found footage film which puts mm-hmm. people off a lot. I love found footage, but it does. I like that footage. Off. Yeah. Um, and they're just they do like a most haunted style show. It's low budget, but it's one of the it's one of the few movies in the past maybe ten years that I got scared by. And the sequel is as good as the first one. I'm going to... The thing is, when people say names of things or names of actors or things, I, my memory is very, um, let's say, damaged by experimentation. Um, <laughs> and I kind of... I then have to see the visual thing. Think, oh, shit, yeah, I know who that is. It's like, Brad Pitt. Oh, yes. Oh, that's that one. Yes. <laughs> that fight, did that fighty clubby film. Yes. yes. Um, Grave Encounters. I... I I probably have seen it if it's found footage and it's of that age because I love found footage films. Ever since I saw like the Blair Witch, I was oh, just like, yeah, Blair Witch. I wanted that to be true. That's like, I want that to happen. I, you know, I love that kind of thing. Um, and we I tried to watch footage. the Blair Witch 2 last night. We, we watched it in the 90s when, or early 2000s when it came out. And I, my memory of the movie is that it was great. So it's the Blair Witch 2 <laughs> Book of Shadows. Yeah, I think yeah. we managed 20 minutes last night. So oh. bad. So, so bad. Soundtrack, though. Well, I mean, I had someone who's cancelled at the start. Um, <laughs> <laughs> his name comes from a beautiful Hollywood wonder and... Uh, cult founder <laughs> i'll let you Lovely. figure it out <laughs> um really good soundtrack but my god people could not act in the late 90s and early 2000s just yeah. appalling <laughs> yeah so it's, like, it, it's it's like the, yeah the democratization of filmmaking and uh stuff uh sometimes highlights 
limitations mm-hmm. where ambition or doesn't quite equate the, the substance or something or other. Absolutely. Um, I, I've just been looking up that uh, that film, as you've mentioned, The Grave Encounters. I definitely recognise some of these screenshots. This image, I mean, this is great for a podcast um, to talk about an image. <laughs> <laughs> but this image of that girl screaming. Yes. Um, I, God, I'm so drawn to that because it's like, maybe that's why I love horror as well, because of the unanswered things. It opens the door to so mm-hmm. much unknown. And I think it's really, I get excited by things I don't know in that way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But that face, that's amazing. I absolutely it's, love honestly, that. It's just, so good. That it's black and white night cam of a girl, I'll describe it for the viewers at home. She looks over her shoulder, her mouth prized open, and it's pitch black. Her eyes are all black with white sockets. Um, it, she's abs- abject horror. Oh, I love that. God, yeah. Google or oh, Bing. Have I binged it? Oh my God, I have binged it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's nice. I'll get a bit more of my sponsorship from them. <laughs> Bing's um, had their one, their one run of the day. I know. You can imagine <laughs> who an old, an old guy in a dusty room and his, his computer's just lit up, the screen's just turned on, the result has <laughs> come up and he's panicking. He's got to contact Bill Gates now and who knows what he's going to say. Um, <laughs> but that's a productivity up. That's a 100% increase. Uh, oh, absolutely. So, you know, that's the shareholders who will love that. <laughs> Have you got any <laughs> performances of your own or other drag artists or burlesque artists or anything? Because you obviously work, I feel like a lot of your work is within the artist realm as well. Yeah. Um, any other performances that you think we should check out any other performers that you think we should check out? Um, there's, I, I've done the thing that I struggled with most probably for about a year before the pandemic is I never recorded much of what I did on stage. And then I realized I need to do that because the online is such a portfolio for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some really fun numbers that I've done that I really enjoyed. Um, and I hope to relive them. There's one I did re, um, I like having the visuals and my musical. I like having, when I perform, I like having something. If it's going to be creepy, I like having a camp moment in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done, I did one bit, one performance on stage. I was kind of dressed up as a sort of demonic priest thing. And I, turned, I did it, I turned it into a digital drag video. And I really like it because halfway through, I just turn into Spice Girls for a bit, then go back to the Ramstein. And it's really, to the Rob Zombie <laughs> and Ramstein mix. And it's really fun. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do like Dracula. I've met quite a few of the Dracula artists and on a whole, they're actually very, very nice grounded people who I think like, like um, you both or me sort of have an appreciation, a thankfulness mm-hmm. for what they do. And I think I really like the sort of spooky performers or artists that actually care about horror. You can sort of tell in subtleties or overtly that they really care about the subject that they're sort of yeah. putting their feet yeah. into. They don't want um, to take the piss out of it. They want to kind of... Yeah, they're not kind of... show it. Yeah, because they're, they're not doing sort of... Oh, I like that. A love letter written in, in sort of blood or feces, whatever you fancy. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, both of them mixed together just to get that perfect dark red. Um, it's not, well, not, don't inject though, because that's, uh, you put that back into your system in the wrong no. way. Oh, you'll have trouble. Oh. You'll have the shits. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, like I, I like it when they've got a bit of, when you know there's a real passion behind it because it then gives such authenticity. Like, one of my favourite artists um, is Disasterina from Dracula. Yes. Because oh, yes. they come across as just a bit unhinged, a bit random, a bit mental. And that's because they are. But they're also deeply, deeply clever and kind. They're so kind. They, are, they work so hard. If you message them, they will reply. Mm-hmm. They care so much and they're so clever and so hardworking and industrious. And I just love that that comes out in the most garish, strange, funny, bizarre ways. Um, and I, I think they're literally lit beat, marching to the beat of their own drums. And I love that. Yes. <laughs> um, and there's some people, there's artists across, you know, that I sort of know, like one of the first drag artists about six years ago or so that I really, that really told me drag could be different when I sort of, that's why I started it. One was Cheddar Gorgeous and the other was Darmageddon. Mm-hmm. And Dharma. I love just because I started seeing them do video game references and stuff that I really like. 
Um, and so there's people that I've sort of seen, like there's like Draven or someone I met in lockdown, Melancholia Blackwell, who... And Melancholia, yeah. They just have a, a, a love of the subject and it makes them giddy and happy. And I, I love that purity in it. Um, yeah. And when you find out these are kind people, I'm just like, oh my God, these are like, the irony, spooky jag artists are the kindest ones. Mm. Is, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting that. Absolutely. What about any queens or kings or performers, kind of more local to your area? Obviously, you're in the Midlands, we're in Newcastle, uh, and we want to would spread love. Spread love. God, God. that's awful. Ugh. We want to spread the love and the joy and the happiness. I love, I mean, I just want to increase infection rates across the UK. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> corona, um, STIs, whatever you've got, yeah. just spray forth thy seed. Um, <laughs> and, um, well, so there's an what there's an event um, called uh, Glitterfy, Glitterfy Presents. It's actually based in Manchester, but I've got, Manchester's so close to Birmingham, it's, um, it's like a couple of quid on a coach. Um, mm. And I go there a lot. Um, but the two people that run it, Glitter King and Mystify, they're wonderful. And so they've performed in Birmingham stuff. And I think Mystify is, you know, being from the Midlands, it's local here. But I love the event because it's called Glitterfy based on their names. And it kind of embodies that perfect mix of literally glitter and horror. Um, mm-hmm. Glitter King is abs one of the kindest souls covered it he's so kawaii they're so <laughs> kawaii and cute but also they've got a real edge to them um does and... glitter king sell glitter as well yes glitter king oh, cosmetics I think yeah. I know who you, yeah i know who you mean um and the mystified really embodies doing the more horror and uh, with an added sense of musical theater and things um i think they're what they're worth checking out because their event is a sort of independent alternative event in Manchester. And Manchester's got a fantastic scene, but it's very established. And mm. when scenes become established, they, they they can't be rocked or changed as much. So it's hard for new things to happen, especially things that are a bit alternative and queer-minded. Yeah. And yeah. there's this one I've really enjoyed um, seeing grow and develop because they're two, you know, talented artists who are trying something. Um but yeah, Birmingham as a whole, it's got quite, it's always had a bit of a punky scene that isn't scared to have horror or weirdness. And it's always been quite diverse, mm-hmm. especially in the last five, six years in terms of gender and all sorts. It's been very much the norm. Um, it's also got quite a long standing history of things that are a bit alternative. So Twiggy is uh, a Birmingham drag artist. They've been doing drag for, mm-hmm. I want to say, decades. <laughs> Their drag does not look the norm whatever the norm is like it they've been doing it for so long but it's so wonderfully different and creative and it's kind of i don't know is it horror i guess it is in a way but it's alternative it's punk it's pure punk in that way mm-hmm. the outfits they make the headpieces the complete transformations um twiggy song who's inspired me non-stop because they make all of this stuff themselves and they just do it they just get on with it they have fun they make the iconic um outfits they're something to definitely look up um mm-hmm. they're so kind as a person i mean i'm so drawn to people that are just nice um when they're nice i suddenly think their drag is goes up a level um, yeah yeah because we know what drag can do it can change you know you can see drag and then find out some behind it isn't as wholesome for the queen or whatever and you're like oh that's a bit of a shame but yeah. I, I just I love when people are, um, they look apart and then you find out that they're as deep as the sort of depth that their look goes to. That really excites me. So yeah, Twiggy. And I, I, I got to plug the Glitterfy event because it's, it's a new event. New events are hard to sort of get off the ground. And I, I, I kind of really. When is it? It's usually a monthly one held in Manchester. Oh, is it monthly? So what we'll yeah. probably do then is, so this is like off, script what i'll probably do is i will go and search dates and all this kind of stuff and i'll release your episode depending on when it is do they do are they doing like online stuff well no they've kind um, of paused that that's a bit of a shame um because i think it's just being easier not to 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can link them up when we post your episode anyway. Yeah, they've got a page and things or not. Yeah, but exactly. I, I really like those two because they're good souls and they're trying to combine what I like, a bit of camp and a bit of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stands out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely perfect. some people we can have a look into. I think it's funny what you said when you spoke about kind of the people's aesthetic and then what they're actually like. Because if you look at, and this is very deliberate, my aesthetic is Pebble mm-hmm. is... A, a basic slut is that's very much my aesthetic <laughs> it always yeah. has been since i've started um but for me it's because it would have been so obvious if i'd went alternative i'm covering tattoos i've got heavily stretched ears i'm heavily part of the alternative scene so for me it was kind of pushing myself in the opposite direction yeah by yeah. going to this like hyper femme hyper kind of barbie unnatural woman um but then i get joy then because maybe three times a year i get to do a more alternative type performance where i can maybe use music that i listen to more regularly at home and things like that i think the last one i done was the was the silent Silent hill one yeah so started as the i can't remember her name but started as the mother from silent hill and then revealed to one of the nurses yeah yeah so yeah i totally get what you mean when you kind of can look at people and then when you find out more about them it's like oh actually you're somewhat different to what i expected from your drag character or your drag persona yeah <laughs> and i i think it, it adds the depth and also it's it's good for people to be exposed to that sort of thing because that's that sort of thing um because Drag, if drag is someone's individual sort of expression, their take on their art and they're exaggerating or playing with a part of themselves, you've then got to respect that and really take joy that someone may be doing something very different for themselves mm. to make it different to what they normally do. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I think with yours, it, it, there's an edge that comes through and that edge could be more powerful than making it so overt. So the edge, you know, when you've got um, some of the tattoos or your ears coming through, Mm-hmm. Um, I think that creates an edge and those edges can speak very loudly about that person that there's a bit more going on they're sort yeah. of signposts as opposed to it just saying yeah I'm a punk rocky drag queen I do you know so okay well where's the dimension where's the <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you're not you know that's what we thought you know um yeah, that makes sense. So do you have anything that you would like to plug, dear? Um, well, that's very, very <laughs> I didn't know it's going to be that kind of a uh, podcast. Ooh, this yeah. is a horrible time at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am quivering. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't know. People look at my stuff. Um, like, share. Same. Where can we defeat, find your stuff? Defeat the algorithms. Oh God, um, I know. <laughs> um, my my name, my surname is spelled awkwardly, but I'm sure you can fix that. Um, but I generally post things on, you know, Instagram or Facebook tend to be the main things. I've got, I had a little t- dally with TikTok, and then I've started going back to it recently. Um, but yeah, I try and keep things interesting online. I try to keep them as a collage of what I do. I've got my creepy creatures, Paul's creepy creatures, which I make. I love making them. I then post them on Etsy to sell. Um, mm-hmm. That's a nice little thing that I like doing. I genuinely want to plug that because I like making them. They're, ther- they're therapeutic. <laughs> I know how Sid in Toy Story felt. I know why he did it. Just misunderstood. <laughs> he just wanted to escape the horrors in their mind. Exactly. Um, yeah, so they're the things to plug. And anything that I do, I post about whether that's scare acting things, whether that's some shows I'm in or whatever. And I try to just keep up that presence of what I do. So yeah. um, it's, you know, easy to find, supposedly. Um, and I'm sure that, let me know, I, I stop this. I think of things I have actually got coming up I should plug. Um, but to be honest, it's weird in a pandemic because yeah. I'm kind of like, <laughs> there are things to plug that I will be doing that I can't be doing until the pandemic's over. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. 
I completely yeah. feel you. Yeah, but I, obviously we'll link up to everything. Yeah. Uh, we'll link up to Paul's Creepy Creatures and to your own profiles and stuff uh, when we post the episode as well. So everybody will really just follow it as a click-through link. But, um, well, Paul, listen, thank you very much for joining us this yes, week. Yes, thank you, Paul. Well, I suppose I should say thank you to you both. I mean, it would be polite. Uh, sorry, thinking wrong, wrong chat, thinking out loud. Um, <laughs> no, thank you so much for asking. It's great. And it's really nice to have, um, this is, you know, how do I, I, I find it difficult to give sort of compliments and stuff because I'm always so scared they don't sound real. But it's nice to have that queer application onto sort of horror and stuff like that. And that mm-hmm. may just be um, my own mindset because I like horror and I like people taking the deep dive and angles on it. But yeah, I really like that, especially like the Halloween one, especially at the end when it's looking at, you know, when it goes, so what is the queer insight we can have there? And I think you actually found out more than you first thought, perhaps, because you said, well, what can we be said? Oh, maybe um, maybe um, she was a lesbian or maybe this. And then it's suddenly going to, oh, actually, maybe it's, you know, there's more to it about. So yeah, I, I kind of, it's a good podcast. So Keep keep up the good work, lads. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Um, <laughs> but no, um, thank you for having me and my tangents and rambles and um, whatnot. Um, yeah. You can follow the podcast at A Horrible Time Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow your host Anthony at Anthony Detro on Twitter and at Diamond Hardskin on Instagram. You can follow Pebble at. It's Pebble Daps on Instagram and Famous Cunt on Twitter. Recording by Pebble and Anth, Mix and Master by Pebble Daps. Artwork by Graphic Design.